Our second lesson comes from the Gospel of John. We are beginning a new sermon series called The Word and the World, Encounters with the Messiah in John's Gospel. And this is the beginning of the encounters with Jesus, starting with John the Baptist. So listen for a word from God from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 19 through 34. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? John confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you are the God who meets us exactly where we are. We pray this all in your name. Amen. There was a pastor who was the church, or it was the pastor of a large church, the pastor of a mega church. He was known throughout the country in the mid-2000s because of the books they had written and the conferences they had helped to lead. It was a massive 20,000-member church spread out over several states and multiple campuses. Preaching from this pastor was heard by thousands of people every week. And so because of that, there began to have this celebrity feel amongst the congregants. But the church eventually collapsed under its own celebrity, and each campus became its own individual church. The podcast I was listening to was digging into the rubble to discover what happened. How did such a large church that was a pillar 
and its community seemingly overnight disappear. And there were many threads you could pull which led to the unraveling. But I was particularly struck by one person being interviewed who was a prominent member of the staff, a real higher up in this church, who talked about the culture that was created. He said, the closer you were to the head pastor, the more important you were. The closer you were to this particular person, the more you were elevated. And this culture wasn't just something that happened naturally, being of a large church, but it was something that was perpetuated both at the top by the head of staff, by the staff surrounding him, and even by the congregants. So there became this fight, this political maneuverings, trying to get closer to the head of staff, because the closer you were, the more power you held. And this is a very human thing we do, right? Whenever there is prestige, we seek to get near it, to buddy up, hoping to draw ourselves up, to find our own power. John the Baptist, when we come upon him in our scripture, is at the height of his prestige. He is drawing massive crowds with his, with his preaching. Tons of people are coming to hear what he had to say. It wasn't just Jewish followers and people of Israel, but also Romans were coming out to see what the heck this camel-fur-dressed, locust-eating wilderness prophet was talking about. He was so big at the time that the Roman historian Josephus makes mention of him and his history, the Jewish Antiquities, which is an extra-biblical source written a hundred years later. John was big. John even had disciples of his own who were following him, trying to catch a glimpse to participate in what he was doing. They were probably thinking similar to the staff at that megachurch, thinking, the closer I am to this guy, the more important I'll be. John was creating a lot of power. Power and numbers, power and followers. And what happens when one outsider develops power? People of the establishment, of political and religious establishment, don't love that. And so they send their people to come question him. They send their cronies out to figure out what is this guy all about. And so they come to John and they question, who are you? Who do you think you are? Where is all this coming from? Are you the Messiah? It may seem like an outlandish question, but several charismatic people of that time who had big followings had claimed to be a Messiah, and the country was looking for a Messiah. And so they ask, are you him? And with all these questions, John can do several things. He can take on his own self-importance, realize the power of his preaching that has brought all these people together. He can demand a direct audience with the political and religious leaders of the day as opposed to just the people they sent. He can celebrate his own celebrity. He can use his own pride to really think that he is the Messiah. 
But no, John does what every great prophet should do, what every great Christ follower should do, what every great Christian should do. He points away from himself and directly to Jesus. He uses scripture to describe his call, that he is preparing people, making their ways straight so that they will be able to receive and know the love of Christ. He is making rich the soil where Christ will come and plant and grow a bountiful harvest. John humbles himself in comparison with the person of Jesus Christ. When he says, I am not unworthy to untie the thong of his sandal, in essence what he is saying is he is below a servant of Christ. The footwear of the day were sandals that were the Nikes of the day. Everyone wore them, right? And it was normal to go and have your feet washed when you came to someone's home, and typically that was done by the servants. But not even the servants would untie your sandals. That was on your own prerogative. You had to untie them yourselves, and then the servants would wash your feet. So when John says, I'm not even unworthy to untie the thong of his sandal, what he's saying is, I'm not even worthy to do what servants don't even have to do. I am below a servant of Christ. John is acutely aware of where he stands in relation to Jesus. And he doesn't begrudge or bemoan this, but he actually celebrates it. And there's much to celebrate about how John the Baptist lived his life. But I think the crux of it can be summed up in one word. One word that actually bookends our scripture from today. It appears in the first verse and the last verse. And that word is testimony. Testimony. Testified. Testifies. The text at the beginning says, this is the testimony given by John. And then at the end, it says, John says, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Testify. Or another way to translate it is witness or bearing truth or bearing your reputation. John is staking everything he has, everything he is preaching, all his acclaim, He's pouring it into the fundamental belief that this Jesus guy, his relative, is the one who's coming to save us all. Church, there's little doubt in my mind that when we live out our call to care for others, to love others, that people will flock to you. People will gather around you. Because people want what you can give, and that's when you help provide a sanctuary. Our world and our society is in desperate need of some radical kindness. People are desperate for someone to reach out and say, I see that you are hurting, and I want you to know that you're cared for and that you're loved. And when our life reflects these actions, People will come to you wanting to be close to you, 
and asking the question, are you Messiah? Can, my Messiah? Will you save me? And the truth is, the answer is no. We ourselves cannot save anyone. No matter how lovely your intentions, no matter how kind you are, no matter what you can give, you can't be someone else's savior. But people are looking. And so what are we to do? It's actually, sorry, it's actually dangerous to take on the role of savior. So instead, we look to John as a model. When we care for others and they ask, why are you doing this? Why are you caring in this way? We are to point to the fact that we have been loved first by God, that we have been given grace through Jesus Christ, and we are but vessels trying to enact that love here on earth. Church, you are called to prep the soil, to tend the soil, to add nutrients to the soil, to dig up the rocks in the soil, because Jesus is the one who plants the seeds and makes them grow. Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who gives mercy. Jesus is the one who can take on each individual person's brokenness and lostness and can fill that deep pit in our gut of yearning for something more. What I love about John is that he knew his limitations. He saw the traps set by pride and celebrity. And John knew ultimately where strength resided, and that's in Jesus Christ. So this should be freeing to us as a church, to know our limitations, to know that we don't have to be Christ. We don't have to be saviors, that we are merely called to love and then to testify, to witness to Jesus Christ's saving love, to witness to all that Christ has done in our lives and all that Christ will do in the world. Because Christ's work in our lives, that is goodness worth testifying about. Christ's work in our lives, that is something irresistible worth witnessing for. So let us testify to the world all that Christ has done so that the world may know that Jesus Christ is the Savior and the ultimate love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.